0: because we live in a world where we're surrounded by lies and we have a tendency to cooperate with those lies and believe them then what happens is that you begin living out these lies in the way that we live and then we put our faith and trust in Jesus and then Jesus begins to show us, hey, you know, that, that's actually not the truth. That's not my heart. That's not who I am. That is not how my children should function and
1: believe. It's hard to know what to believe sometimes. You're constantly bombarded by so many voices telling you all kinds of different things. How do you know what's true? How do you separate fact from fiction? Today, Pastor Daniel explains that recognizing the lies you believe and replacing them with truth is a battle you'll fight your entire life. You'll learn that discovering the truth begins with quieting the noise and listening for the still, small voice of God. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in 2 Peter chapter 2 as he begins his message, The Truth About Lies.
0: I heard some really horrifying news today that I I just feel like I need to share it with you guys. You know, the person sitting next to you, they're total liars. It's true. You know, the person sitting on the other side, horrible liars. Everyone that you've ever met is a total liar. And that includes me, unfortunately. (laughs) Do you realize, statistically speaking, you will hear between 90 and 2,000 lies by the time today is over. Yeah. Extroverts lie more than introverts, which makes sense because they talk more, (laughs) right? Statistically speaking, we have a tendency to lie to strangers more than people we know, but all of us are total and complete liars. Now, I say that and I realize that everyone's just kind of like, well, why are you coming to this church no more? <laughs> but if you think about it, if lies are everywhere, and they are, I mean, and not all lies are like the most malicious lie in the world. Like there's something called like a little white lie, right? Like let me give you an example. There's actually two women who show up in the genealogy of Jesus or one who showed up in the genealogy, but there's two women in the Bible who are actually commended for their lying. Remember Rahab in Jericho? Where are the spies from Israel? I don't know. (laughs) King David's wife, Mikael, when her dad, Saul, came looking to kill David, I don't know where he is, but she totally knew where he was. But they are dishonesty in that way. But the thing about lying that makes this so challenging, if it's everywhere, you have to remember that lying is a cooperative activity. Which means in order for a lie to take root, you have to believe it. So I know it's real easy to be like, oh, yeah, you know, the person next to me is a total liar. I refuse to But in order for a lie to function, you actually have to believe it. And so you're involved in it. Now, think about that for a second. How many lies do each one of us believe on a daily basis? So I started thinking about this because we're doing this truth and lies series and um, I know I'm going to come out here and tell you you guys are liars and I'm a liar. We've all lied. That's why we believe in Jesus, you know, but then I started thinking, well, how many lies do I actually believe? And if I'm hearing, now I'm an extrovert, so that's bad for me. I talk a lot. A lot of people talk with me, a lot of interactions. You start to realize, I'm like, wow, I've probably believed on any given day a thousand lies things that somebody shared that wasn't the truth, but I consented to it by saying, okay, that's right. And then part of what God is doing in each one of us is because we live in a world where we're surrounded by lies and we have a tendency to cooperate with those lies and believe them, then what happens is that you begin living out these lies in the way that we live and then we put our faith and trust in Jesus and then Jesus begins to show us, hey, you know, that that's actually not the truth. That's not my heart. That's not who I am. That is not how my children should function and believe. But you know what the problem is with lies is that if you hear a lie long enough and passionately enough, at some point, we never doubt the veracity of it. If you know anything about history, world history, the Nazis called this the big lie where they had a whole ministry of propaganda that put forth that the Jewish people were responsible for everything, why they lost World War I, all these things. And they told an audacious lie long enough to the point where people stopped to even question the truthfulness of what's being said. We see this playing out today because we live in a world that is full of propaganda. You have propaganda being pumped to you in every which direction, every billboard every television show and advertisement every news source all of them propaganda but then there's this voice crying in the wilderness the voice of the spirit through the word of god that says i want to show you what is true i want to show you something different but the problem is is that in a world full of lies that are allowed that we're bombarded by that we have a tendency to join The still, small voice of the Spirit doesn't get much of a hearing. Do you ever think about when you watch one of those talk shows where there's a number of people there? I used to watch them a bunch, you know, where there's be like, or whether they're all sitting around a table and fighting, or they're in like four little boxes, and they're all yelling over each other. The person who yells the loudest and the longest gets heard. And I always just imagine in one of those talk shows that Jesus would just sit there watching. Everyone's an expert, right? And there's the perfect son of God just watching everyone yell over each other. And at some point, maybe the host would say, you know, hey, so uh, Lord Jesus, what do you think? And Jesus would probably say, I think you just love God and love each other. And my friends, we need to... Look at the truth about lies together. If we're going to talk about truth and lies, we have to look at the truth about lies. And in order to do that, I want you to open your Bible, Second Peter chapter 2. two. Peter chapter two, picking up in verse one, we're going to see Second Peter two verses one to eleven. So, of course, if you have a smart device, you can type in two Peter two colon one dash eleven. If you have a Bible with you, open that baby up. Second Peter's pretty easy to find. Start at the back of your Bible. Go left. You have Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, 1st John, and then 2nd Peter. Of course, if you're part of our online audience, open up another browser window. In 2nd Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Verse 3 by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Now, what's interesting is if you back up just a few verses, now, of course, for those of you who are using a smart device, you have to retype it in. It says this at the end of Second Peter 1 in verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And then, chapter 2, verse 1 But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Now, you notice that word, but, right? Now, you guys know I like but. Why are you giggling? That's naughty. The idea is that the word, but is a contrasting word. And one side you have all scripture has been inspired by God, but there were false prophets among the people, just as there are false teachers among you. I like to say it this way. Liars are going to lie. Liars are going to lie. See, we have this tendency to think that the early church was this perfect example of what the people of God ought to be. No, it was a representative example of what happens for the people of God. When they are together and there's imperfections, the spirit of God is at work, but there's a lot of other factors going on as well. You have examples of people lying to the people of the early church. We have examples of all sorts of things going on. And Peter is getting into the fact that just as God was able to speak into the children of Israel of old, there was also false prophets as well. And if you read the scriptures all the time, you have these people who pop up, who look like they are a part of the people of God, but really they have a different agenda. And for the early church, the false teachings that were going around was a major problem. In a lot of ways, every single epistle that we have seems to be written to counteract some sort of error in teaching. Whether it's the people who wanted to make Christianity more like Judaism by incorporating all sorts of aspects of works righteousness into it. Or for the Gentile churches, there was also a large push to incorporate all of the pagan rituals into it. And so Peter reminds us that liars are going to lie. And so Satan's counterfeits with their activities are always present. They were present in the first century. They are present Today and we have to remember, you want the truth about lives? John chapter eight verse 44 tells us this: "You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do." Jesus is talking about the people who are opposing him. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him when he speaks a lie He speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it Now you want the truth about lies The originator and the main proponent of lies is satan himself Who's a murderer who's a liar and he's the father of all lies Now, remember I told you that all lies are cooperative, that a lie can be shared, but if we embrace it and respond to it and walk it out, now we become part of it. In a sense, then, you and I, when we're lying, we are, in a sense, if Satan is the father of lies, we are the mother of lies with him, receiving his lie and then giving birth of it into the world. Now, we don't often think about it that way, do we? We don't often think about our lack of honesty, our embellishments. We don't think about these things in these ways. But if Jesus isn't just speaking with hyperbole, if he really means these things, then if Satan is the father of lies, he's been a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth, then we have to be very, very, very careful with our words, don't we? I found myself being very concerned as I read this for myself. And I stand in front of all of you with a microphone all the time. I get to talk to lots of people. It's like, well, the truth about lies is that people who lie, they're going to lie. And lying was very common in the early church. And it shipwrecked people's faith. It says in the middle of verse 1, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth is blasphemed. Now, I want you to notice a few things about these false teachers. Notice they come in secretly. So what you'll know is that a false teacher will never come and say, hey, I'm a false teacher, right? It's the idea of the wolf in sheep's clothing comes in secretly to bring these destructive heresies. Now, notice what they're trying to get at. Notice even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. So, of course, the greatest lie is that Jesus isn't real. That's the greatest lie. Right? Denying the Lord who bought them with his own life, with his own blood. And so anytime a teacher is trying to pull you away from Jesus. Now, what happens in the church a lot is that people want to draw you to themselves as opposed to draw you to Jesus. Right? They want to make sure that it's Jesus plus something else. And there's nothing I love more than when I get accused of being, oh, you know, you guys are crosswords, you guys are simplistic. So just believe in Jesus. But it's this, but it says, no, it's Jesus and that's it. And we don't want, listen, we've never said once, listen, you guys need to be a disciple of crossroads. Forget that. Be a disciple of Jesus. At best, a church is a group of people who are being discipled by Jesus together trying to figure out how to do life together. That's what church is. But oftentimes the liars, they want to pull you away. But what's unfortunate is we learn here that of course many will follow their destructive ways. Because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. This reminds me of 1st Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. Now the spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So what you end up with here is you end up now with this warning that it's very easy to begin to follow these destructive heresies that will obscure the way of the truth. Now, we also learn a little bit about their motivation because in verse 3, it tells us, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. So we see a little bit of the motivation of at least the false teachers who Peter was talking about. Their goal was to take care of themselves. It was with a covetous spirit. And that creates all sorts of issues, of course, because obviously money is an outlet of spiritual power, right? We all know that. But when all of a sudden you have people coming in and it's all about money, then all of a sudden you actually can't talk about money in a way that everyone doesn't feel like, oh, this is covetousness. But God calls us all to generosity, but we have to discern the motives of leaders. And that's a hard thing, isn't it? Discerning the motives of leaders. Why? Because, I don't know about you, what I find in my own life, of course, is that I have a tendency to give myself always the benefit of the doubt on motives. And if I'm not careful, I give everyone the most strict justice in their motives. I assume the worst of other people. I assume the best of myself. Am I the only one who does that? But we have a tendency to do that. But I believe that the Lord wants us to be able to discern the fruit. That's in front of us. Our job is not to judge someone's motives, but we, we should go into everything with our eyes open. Does that make sense? We should go everything with our Bibles open and our heart and our eyes open to the Lord and we have to realize that liars are going to lie and lies are everywhere and it exists within the church. Now, I do think it's important for me to say at this point that I don't believe I'm teaching you guys lies on anything. But I do realize that my understanding of who the Lord is and of the word is in process. So you guys have heard me say a lot of times, hey, I don't know the answer to this. I may be wrong in this. I'm like, I wouldn't pin myself down, but if you made me, I'd say this, but I'm not really sure. And I do that because I want to make sure that we keep digging together. The, God's word and his heart is infinite and we are not. So we're constantly plumbing the depths of the word, plumbing the depths of the heart of God, trying to figure out, Lord, what are you up to? And at the same time saying, Lord, will you purify my motives. And you're praying, Lord, will you purify your motives? And I do ask that you pray that God would purify my motives. And, and then I'll be praying that God purifies yours. And we join one another in this process. But in, the truth about lies is that they're everywhere and they're in church as well. That's what we learn. Now from there, notice what it says in verse four. It says, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, But cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the world. ...of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. What we learn here is that we should learn from history. Peter just said that their destruction does not slumber. And then he gives some examples. He look, I want you to learn from biblical history. And we get three examples of God bringing judgment on lies. First, we have these fallen angels which you read about in verse four. Then you have uh, Noah and the ancient world through the flood in verse five. And then you have the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the discussion about Lot, verses six to eight. So Peter very quickly grabs hold of this and says, look, there's all these examples in your Bible of how God deals with judgment with people who are bringing falsehood. And he's saying, look, I want you to learn from that. Notice verse six in the very end, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. You see that? Making them an example. Now this reminds us that God has given us his word to admonish us, to challenge us. And so the key for each one of us is as we read the word is also to say, Lord, how are you In your love and your care for me, how are you challenging me to see my life, to see the lies that I might be believing or even promulgating? How do I deal with it given the light of who you are? And he's saying, look, I want you to learn from history. That where there is error, where there is lying, where there is falsehood, God will bring judgment. Now, the first example is of these fallen angels Right Now you get this idea of these fallen angels and also the idea of Noah from Genesis chapter 6 and the story of Noah goes all the way to Genesis chapter 9. So if you can mark that in your Bibles, you can read it later. But Genesis chapter 6 begins with this strange story that many people argue about and discuss what it means about how the sons of God and the daughters of men, how there was a co-mingling of them and all of a sudden there was these people who were born who were extra big and all. And so a lot of people believe, and again, this is one of those places where if you held me down and tickled me, I'd say yes. But if I'm not totally sure for lots of reasons, but it speaks of these fallen angels that were came down and this thing went on with the women of the day and it was one of the precursors to God's judgment of the world through the flood. But if you don't say, well, I don't think that that those guys are angels, then you can look at Jude chapter six and you got your other example of it. Because it talks about how they saw Satan fall like lightning. That's what Jesus said. And there's in the book of Revelation, we see Satan and his demons. There, and they're getting put towards judgment. And so we realize that there's a spiritual realm. And he says, for if God, verse 4, did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. So he's saying, look, for the angels who left their proper abode, that's how Jude speaks of it. And Jude's got one chapter, so just Jude, verse 6. For those, even angelic beings who have strayed into error, there is this judgment awaiting them. Then, of course, you get the example of Noah. He did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world, on the godly. So here we have Peter talking about the flood of Noah. Now, of course, Noah was saved one of eight people. Someone says, well, who was the other seven people? Noah's wife. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and all three of them were married. Make sense? So Noah and his wife, Shem, his wife, Ham, his wife, Japheth, his wife. Did I do good math? just want to be true.
1: Jesus is... One of the purposes of God's Word is to show you who God is and how that should impact how you live. Pastor Daniel explained that the Bible helps you see how you've gotten off track and what lies you're believing. God uses it like a mirror to help you see yourself clearly, to notice where your life lines up with His ways and where it doesn't. So ask God to show you where you're believing and even propagating lies and what to do about it.
0: Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com.
1: Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue uncovering the truth about lies, including the ones you believe. You'll be encouraged to look at things more deeply and think more biblically. People and their issues aren't cut and dry, they can't be reduced to a soundbite or a catchphrase. Trudging through what you believe so you can separate truth from lie requires a willingness to wade into the mess and the nuance. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Truth and Lies. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.